Well, they're saying that it might snow Sunday, so in case we're not here Sunday, I'm going to teach a little longer tonight. Make up for it. How about that? <laughs> but we're in the ninth chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. Brian, Pastor Brian had taught chapter 8, did a wonderful job. And the nation of Israel, remember at the time of the judges, we were really still in the time of the judges. And at this time, the tribes were really a loose confederation uh, by, and they were led by God-appointed judges in these separate areas, these separate areas of the tribe. We have to also remember there was no standing army at this time. They didn't have a permanent leader. So what would happen if they had to go to war? Men from every tribe would come together. They would be a call together and they would go to battle. Now, it reminds me of the 13 colonies of America before they became America, before they became the United States. But the elders knowing this, and the elders were the leaders, they go to Samuel and they make their request to have a king. Remember, there was no central government. Uh, the tabernacle at Shiloh had been destroyed. It had been another 100 years before the tabernacle is rebuilt again. So they come to Samuel and they make their case for having a king. It says in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 through 5, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old, as if he didn't know that. That's not good when they start off like that. And then he says, And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. It's ironic as I look back at this. Eli's issue was, he would not discipline his son, even though Eli, the high priest, was a godly man. Samuel, a godly man, his issue, I believe that he was never at home to really train up his children, to raise them in the way of the Lord. So that speaks to all of us. Even though they were godly men, we have to make sure that, especially in the younger days with our kids, you're at home, you're pouring into your kids and when it's time to discipline them, you discipline them in love. So they come to him and they ask for a king. That's their request. The issue was not that the elders or the children of Israel asked for a king. The issue was they wanted that king immediately. If we go back through the scriptures, especially in the Pentateuch, the first five uh, books of the Old Testament, God was speaking and God was saying that you were, you were going to get a king. He says in Genesis chapter 17, verse 6, speaking to Abraham, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. All the way down in verse 15 and 16 of the same chapter. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you should not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Remember when Jacob is about to die, and he gets on his bed, and he prophesies over his 12 sons, and he says this uh, about Benjamin. Well, it's about uh, Jacob says this about a kingly tribe in Judah, Genesis 49, 10. 
the scepter, the royal rod of authority, shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh, speaking of the Messiah, comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So the issue was, they wanted a king right then and there. Just like us at times. God wants to give us something. God likes to give us things. But we want it right then and there. And when we want things right then and there and do not wait on the Lord, what's the problem? We go ahead of the Lord. And if you've ever did that, because I have, when you get ahead of the Lord, it's not for your good. And so once again, the request wasn't wrong, but it was when they wanted a king. And if you ever go back and look at the genealogy, even though we know that Saul is going to be the first king of Israel, and God wanted Saul to, to succeed, but Saul, as we know, he comes from the tribe of Benjamin. That's why I read that verse in Genesis 49.10, that the lineage will come from Judah, David and all those. So Saul from the get-go, God wanted him to succeed, but he wasn't going to have a, a lasting dynasty there. He just made it quick, quicker than it was going to be. Psalms 106.15 says this, And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. Remember when the children of Israel were complaining, we're tired of this worthless manna. That's what they said. And so God said, okay, I'm going to rain down quail. And remember, he doesn't say much about it. It's like a verse. As the first ones began to eat the quail, what happened? They were consumed by fire. But he says, I gave you guys what you wanted but I'm going to bring leanness to your soul. So, Lord, if I'm asking for anything that's not in your will, that's not going to be good for me, not my will, but your will be done. So chapter 9, verse 1, it shifts now from Samuel to Saul. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bacharath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. Reminds me of uh, Jephthah and Gideon, even though Judges says a, a mighty man of valor. When he says power there, it really means strength and ability. So I guess he was a strong guy. And we can tell by this long genealogy here that Kish and his family were well-to-do. Pretty much so. So when Saul begins to say, hey, I come from the least of the tribe of Benjamin, yeah, they were the smallest tribe, but they were a wealthy family here. And he had a choice and handsome son. Choice means he was a young man whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. I don't know why the Holy Spirit lets us know that this dude was good looking, but I kind of believe he's wanting us to know that even though he was good looking, good looks only takes you so far in this world and it doesn't benefit you at all in the afterlife. 
So he lets us know that. So it's no need of leaning on that, especially when it comes to spiritual things. And Samuel had an issue with this because Samuel is going to say, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And then what he doesn't learn from that because God said, don't look at the outward appearance, look at the inside, look at the heart. He goes straight to the son of Jesse, David, and he says the same thing. And we have to understand it's not about the outward makeup. That's not, that's not even truly who we are. It's who we are on the inside. And I like what Proverbs 31, 30 says, and, and it re, it's really referenced to women, but it can be referenced to men also. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. It's the inner beauty, the quiet beauty of a woman that's impressive, the Holy Spirit says. Verse three, now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son, Saul, please take one of the servants with you and arise, go and look for them, for the donkeys. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim, north of Gibeah, and through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalem, and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. When they had come to the land of Zuth, that's in the hill country of Ephraim, and this is where Samuel lived, Saul said to his servant, I want you to see how many times this servant is by Saul's side, and he's really the smart one when it comes to wisdom of the two. Saul said to his servant, who was with him, come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. That's legitimate. And he, speaking of the servant, said to him, look now, there is in this city a man of God. He is an honorable man. Proverbs 21 one tells us a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. That's a whole lesson right there especially when it comes to Victor Allen's summer hour. I learned that later in life. A good name. I probably won't have a good name until I'm in, in the kingdom and the Lord gives me my new name. So if you have a good name, keep that good name. It's, it's invaluable. The servant says he is an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass. Remember what it said in Samuel uh, chapter 3, none of Samuel's words fell to the ground. He says, so let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. Saul's home was in Gibeah, which was about five miles away from Ramah, where Samuel lived once again. And yet Saul didn't even know that Samuel was in the land or he never heard of Samuel. I don't, that's a great mystery to me because it says in 1 Samuel 3.20, and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba, one end to the other, knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. But Saul didn't know this. Saul was attentive. He wasn't attentive to spiritual things. That's his issue. It, it never says that uh, Saul went up to the annual feast. We never hear any of those things going on. It, it doesn't speak of he was a spiritual man. 
and he reminds me of Esau. The Bible, the commentary in Hebrews speaks about Esau. He was a profane man, profanum, outside the threshold, outside the sanctuary. What Esau said was, it doesn't matter about, I have no problem with Yahweh God. He's just like all the other gods to me. So he had made God common. And we know God is to be set apart. Same thing here with Samuel. It's like many people today. He wasn't against religion, but he didn't make knowing the Lord vital as we should all do. Seek first the kingdom of God. He never did that. Verse seven, then Saul said to his servant, once again, he's given an excuse. First, he was ready to go home. The servant says, no, no, let's go up to the man of God. Now he makes another excuse. But look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? That's what Saul asked. All we have is our sin. We have nothing to give God. I, I, I love the phrase, nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross I cling. I have nothing to enhance the Godhead. I have nothing to make him more holy or spiritual than he is. And we need to understand that. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need us, but he welcomes us into his kingdom. Then it says, and the servant answered Saul again and said, look, I have here at hand one fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. And then the commentary formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, He spoke thus, come, let us go to the seer for he who is now called the prophet was formerly called a seer. Now in Saul's day, a prophet was known primarily as what he's called here, a seer, because what he would do, his ministry would be, he would foretell divine events, foretell the future. But later on, they began to call them prophets because they were foretelling the will of God. So they were, they were the mouthpiece for the Lord. Samuel did both these things. He was God's spokesman. Verse 10, then Saul said to his servant, well said, come let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. This servant reminds me of another servant. Can anybody tell me of this servant? Genesis chapter 24 When the servant, he's never spoken of, but by the servant, Abraham makes him swear that he he goes to get a bride for Isaac and he's leading him all the way on the way. The paraclete, our helper, and we should listen to him more. Verse 11, as they went up the hill to the city, they met some young women going out to draw water. This lets us know of these young women that it was in the evening time. That's when modest, godly women would go and refill and replenish the water. Remember the the woman at the well in Sychar, she was going out at 12 o'clock in the afternoon because nobody was going out at that time. And this is what they said and said to them, is the seer here? 
And they answered them and said, yes, there he is just ahead of you. Now they begin to give up information left and right. And the only reason I think they're giving up this information is because the handsome choice young man, they're just wanting to talk to him. Is the seer here? And they answered them and said, yes, there he is just ahead of you. Hurry now. For today he came to this city because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. Remember, once again, the tabernacle is destroyed. So they go to these high places, usually on a hill or a mountain, sort of like a mountain, and they would worship Yahweh God. But there was also other high places for pagan worship. So right along, I'm sure not in the same exact area, but not far away, the pagans would do all kind of godly worship to Ashtara and Balaam. So all of these things are going on. And so that's where Samuel is going up to the high place to present this offering to the Lord. Verse 13, as soon as you come into the city, the women are still speaking, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now, therefore, go up for about this time you will find him. So they went up to the city. Seems to me they go, they're going up. They go through the first gates. You will find them later going through back the back gates, going up to the high place. As they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. You know what the Jews say? Coincidence is not a kosher word. God is leading. He's in control here. Now the Lord had told Samuel, in his ear the di- in his ear the day i don't think this was an audible voice but i think the impression on samuel's heart on his spirit was so much that it may as well have been now the lord had told samuel in his ear the day before saul came saying tomorrow about this time i will send you a man from the land of benjamin and you shall anoint him commander, captain, or leader. That's how God wants to lead us, you guys. He's our father, our heavenly father, and he wants to be intimate with all of us. He doesn't like distant relationships. He wants us close so he can whisper and speak. David says, I don't want to be like the dumb mule that has to be led around by bit and bridle, but I just want you to look at me, Lord, and guide me with your eyes. That's intimacy. That's close. Once again, it reminds me of the servant in Genesis 24. This is what the, uh, the servant said when he finally gets to Laban's house and he sees Rachel at the well, 24, 27. And he said, blessed be the Lord, God of my master, Abraham who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, that's key, the Lord led me. He can only lead us when we're on the way to the house of my master's brethren. Psalms 119.105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We must walk in that way. When we're walking in that way, in that path, it's easy for the Lord to lead us. Proverbs 3.6 tells us, In all your ways, acknowledge him. If we acknowledge him, he shall direct your paths. 
It's not complicated. If it was complicated, I couldn't do it. So it's very easy. It's a, it's a will thing. It's a discipline thing. We, we discipline ourselves to follow the Lord, understanding, knowing that he has what's best for us. And it's best that we listen to him. Verse 16, tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel that he may save. Now watch this. Shall anoint him commander over my people. He will say my about three or four times here. My people Israel that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines for I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. The Holy Spirit tells us three times that the, that the people of Israel is God's people. He's going to allow them to have a king, but make no mistake about it. They're my people. And knowing that they are my people, whoever the king I choose to put there, you've got to answer to me that you uh, listen to me and you direct them accordingly. That's why it's so important, not only for the elders and the leaders in the church, but the, the people who come, that we should be praying that the Lord gives me a vision and gives the elders a vision and give you guys, if the, if the Lord is speaking to you about anything that's going on at CR, when it comes to making us more fit, lean for the spirit to have his way, Come speak to Pastor Brian. Come speak to uh, David as an elder. Come speak to us because we can always put those things on the altar and pray. And that's what he's saying here. Once again, Saul is not going to be the king long, but God is pulling for Saul. God's not saying, okay, Saul, I know you're not going to be the king long, so go on and blow it. No, God is in his corner. Remember, once again, God said, hey, this is your man right here. So God doesn't call us to fail. Whether it's a ministry at the church, whether it's a teaching you're doing at a Bible study, whether it's at your job because that's your ministry, God has opened a door so you to have that job, whether it's at school where you're studying to be something, God does not call us to fail. The only, there's two ways we fail. When we don't follow him, we don't obey him, and then he has to discipline us. Or if he's led us somewhere to learn something, and he has to close doors to move us somewhere else. And that's not a failure because he's going to promote us somewhere else. So the Lord is in our corner, you guys. He's forced. And if God is forced, who can be against us? Verse 17. So when Samuel saw Saul... The Lord said to him, there he is, the man whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people again. Verse 18, then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, please tell me, where is the seer's house? Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place. The seer must have been very reverenced. In those days, but going all the way through the, uh, the Old Testament, yes, they were. Because for someone to say you never met, hey, I want you to go here and do this. 
And he's obedient. He does that. So once again, even though Saul didn't know of him, people knew of him. I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place for you shall eat with me today. And tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. What he's saying there, I will tell you everything that you came to question about. Where's the donkeys? All of these things. How would you like for a man of God to say, for God to speak to you and say, do you want me to tell you everything that's in your heart? Especially in a group of people. Do you want me to tell you everything that's in your heart? That's tough. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Because some things in there don't belong in there. So pray for me. That's why it says in Psalms 51.10, and I have to pray it constantly, create in me a clean heart. Because when someone might offend me, when I should let it go right away, sometimes I don't. And I'm praying to the Lord, Lord, I don't want to have this attitude. I don't want to have this disposition. Create in me a clean heart and renew. The New King James says a steadfast spirit within me. Steadfast means stable or a firm spirit. The the opposite of that, remember, once again, Jacob has, has his feet on his bed. He's prophesying to all his sons. He starts off with Reuben, the firstborn. And remember what he says to Reuben. All this time, Reuben thought he had gotten away with sleeping with his, his, his dad's concubine. Whew. Surely the, the sting of death has, has passed me, as Agag said about Samuel. But then he begins to speak to him, and he tells him this. He says, Reuben, you are unstable. There's steadfast. There's the opposite as water. And he says, because of this, you will not excel. James says about the same thing. He says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That's why we need that clean heart, that steadfast spirit, that no matter what our emotions and our will is trying to tell us, because we don't operate by those things, the mind, will, and emotion, we have that steadfast spirit that says, no, Lord, this is right. I might feel like saying or doing something else, But this is right. And I don't want to be unstable, vacillating back and forth. That's why it takes time in the word and time in prayer that automatically we're stable and we have that steadfast spirit. Verse 20. But as for your donkeys, Samuel is speaking, that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them for they have been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and all your father's house? I know that blew him away. And Saul answered and said, am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? So what? And my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? Saul felt unworthy of the kind words that Samuel was speaking. Not only the kind words, but truthful words. I don't know if he was just modest or he had a shy disposition. I don't know. But uh, Samuel knows. Verse 22. Now Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and had them sit in the place of honor among those who were invited. There were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, 
Bring the portion which I have gave you of which I said to you, set it apart. Samuel knew God was going to keep his word. He had everything prepared. Exodus 29, 27 speaks of the portion of food or meat that the priest would receive. And it says this, and you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering that is, that is waved and the thigh of the priest portion that is contributed from the ram of the ordination from what was Aaron's and his sons. Because this is the portion Samuel is, uh, Saul is about to receive. So the cook took up the thigh with this upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, here it is, what was kept back. It was set apart for you because he's about to set Saul apart to be king. We as believers, we know we are set apart. We're in this world, but we're not of it. We should live set apart lives. He says, eat for until this time it has been kept for you. Since I said I invited the people, so Saul ate with Samuel that day. Verse 25, when they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the top of the house because that's where they would sleep. I guess Samuel prepares a place for Saul to sleep there. Next thing we know, they arose early. And it was about the dawning of the day that Samuel called to Saul on the top of the house saying, get up. So Samuel was an early riser. We know Samuel was an early riser because in the first chapter of the book of 1 Samuel, Samuel was trained to get up and light the candles and all those things, get the, get the tabernacle, so to speak, ready for Eli to come in and do what he was supposed to do. And that shows discipline there also. Get up that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose, and both of them went outside, he and Samuel. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on. But you stand here a while, that I may announce to you the word of God. Chapter 10. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head. And like Pastor Brown said, they just didn't pour a little. They poured a lot. He's dripping with this anointing oil, and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? I'm, I'm pretty assured about this, that when Saul lied down that night on the top of that house, he didn't sleep much. I'm sure he's thinking of what is going on. And I believe in his wildest dream, he didn't think of this, that he was going to be king of Israel. Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? Samuel is going to give Saul three signs to verify what he tells him is going to take place. It's true. Verse two, and he just begins to rattle them off. Because he knows God is faithful. He knows he's a man of God. He knows he walks in obedience to the word of God. And when you are doing those things, when you are walking in obedience to the Lord, not perfection, but day in and day out, I'm walking in obedience to the Lord, you hear from him. When you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. 
And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you saying, what shall I do about my son? God is beginning to train Saul that he can cast all of his cares and all of his problems on him and he can handle them. Verse three, then you shall go on forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. There three men going up to God at Bethel. Now Samuel just went to the high place and offered these sacrificing sacrifices. I think that men would still go up to Bethel. Bethel is called the house of God. That's where they will settle at. That's where Abraham loved to go to Bethel. So I think that you still have some going to Bethel to do things like that, to give offerings. He says, there are three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread. You shall receive from their hands. Not only could God solve Saul's, Saul's problems, he could and will provide for Saul, just like he does for us, as long as we are walking in his will. He will supply all our, his riches that's in Christ Jesus for us. He says in verse five, after that, you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistines garrison is. And it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a string instrument, a tambourine, a flute, a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. Then the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them. Once again, God was showing Saul that it was he who could endue him with power for the calling the Lord has placed upon his life. He didn't have to worry about where that strength was coming from. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse 16, the latter part of it says this. Ask a question here, Paul does. And who is sufficient for these things? That's the question every servant of God lets swirl around in their mind and heart. Am I sufficient? Am I sufficient to lead Calvary Restore? with my brother, pastors and elders? Am I sufficient to be over this ministry, this leadership? Not in and of myself, but I know the calling that's on my life. Of course I can, but I lean on the Lord to do those things. He goes on to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves. Of course we're not. To think of anything as being from ourselves but our sufficiency is from God. That's where it comes from. To do anything well, to do anything that's going to be of value in the kingdom of God and that will prosper down here, I look to God to lead us. Saul starts well, but he stops looking to God and it will always go sideways when you do that. Latter part of verse six, it says this, and, be and, and after this, after you begin to prophesy, he says, and be turned into another man. And we'll get back to that. And let it be when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. 
verse 8, you shall go down before me to Gilgog, and surely I will come down. Now, watch this. He says, Samuel says, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. So it was when he had turned when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. Now, when he speaks of another heart, he's not speaking of that New Testament regeneration that he's born again, but it it refers to primarily his outlook, his different attitude toward the task that's at hand. Remember, he's just a, a farmer. God has put the weight of the nation on him. And he's not able to do this with the skills he has, the skill set he has and everything else. So God has given him a new understanding, a new outlook, a new attitude toward the task that he has given him. The Holy Spirit, once again, will enable him to serve God as long as he walks in obedience to God's will. And once again, it's only because of Saul's pride, his rebelliousness against God, that he loses the spirit of God, the power of God. He loses his kingdom. And later on, he he will lose his life all because he turned away from the Lord. We have to remember in the Old Testament, God gave his Holy Spirit. He let his Holy Spirit come upon people. The Holy Spirit Of all people, the Holy Spirit came upon Samson. The Holy Spirit came upon Jephthah and Gideon. The Holy Spirit came upon uh, David, but but it was only for the task at hand. Now, in the New Testament, in this new dispensation, when the Holy Spirit comes, into someone. Ephesians tells us we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of redemption. We're the Lord's. Yes, we can quench the Spirit. We can resist the Spirit. But the Spirit is not going to leave us. I believe with all my heart, before I make the Lord look so bad by my walk, he will take me home. That's what it says in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, I think it's 11, chapter 11 or chapter 13. Paul says, because you guys aren't, aren't giving value to the Lord's Supper, many of you are asleep. You're not, you didn't lose your salvation, but I had to take you out of here. That's what I believe. But in the New Testament, the only way, my opinion if I just turn away and walk away from the Lord, but if I'm battling and I'm, Lord, help me, deliver me from this, give me grace to walk up right before you, all these things, I'm the Lord. I'm gonna be his. his. He's going to take me home. That's why David says, after his sin with Bathsheba, Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit away from me because that's what he did to Saul. New Testament believers don't have to worry about that. 
I'm going to back up. It says in verse 8, he says, you shall go down before me to Gilgog, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. So Samuel is warning Saul here. Just because I've given you this portion of meat that's only allowed to the priest, because he tells him over and over again, don't think you're a priest. Don't get ahead of me. Don't get the big head. I gave you this for your coronation. I anointed you as king. So you will be king. Matter of fact, right now you are the king. Everybody just don't know that you're the king. But you're not a priest. You could have kings. A king could be a prophet. But a king could not be a priest. David, I think more than anything, wanted to be a priest. But he, he, he couldn't go in that, that tabernacle and offer a sacrifice. What's it? Gosh, help me out. And I'm serious about this. I always get this guy, this king, on the tip of my tongue. He was a godly king. I think he came from the, 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 the tribe. Well, he came from Judah, the southern kingdom, because there was a few good kings over there. But at the end of his life, he goes into the tabernacles and, and he offers sacrifices. And remember what the Lord did? He gave him leprosy. And for the rest of his days, you remember who it was? It might be him. Uzziah? It might be Uzziah. But once again, if you were a king, you couldn't be a priest. So he's letting, he's letting Saul know. The end of verse 6, he says, Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. Verse 10, when they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the Spirit of God came upon him. And he prophesied among them. This was probably the first time Saul ever had this kind of experience. This experience of praise and worship to the Lord. If Saul would have only nurtured this and longed for more of the Lord, he would have never went astray. It says, and it happened when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets that the people said to one another, what is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Because he was out of character. He was doing something that was out of character. Saul doesn't usually behave like this. Saul doesn't have a heart for things of the Lord. What's going on here? And you know, there's no evidence that Saul was a wicked man, not at all. But he was a secular person. He was a secular man. And last time I checked, being secular will still wind you up in hell. You can be wicked. That's your destination. But you can be secular, not knowing the Lord, wordly. You can be a good wordly person, not knowing the Lord. Same difference. You go to the wrong place. So he was acting out of character and the people when they saw him prophesying knew this. Then a man, then a man from there answered and said, but who is their father speaking of the prophets that were prophesying along with Saul? Because usually if you were a prophet, it passed down to, to, to your, your sons to become a prophet. So they said, where, did, where does this band of prophets come from? Amos tells us that. Therefore, it became a proverb. Is Saul also among the prophets? 
And when he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. Then Saul, Saul, now check Saul's uncle out. This is my opinion of this. Then Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, where did you go? So he said to look for the donkeys. When we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, tell me, please, what Samuel said to you. So Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys have been found, but about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel has said. The reason I bring up about this uncle, Saul, uh, Samuel had told Saul great things that was going to happen in his life. Why would his uncle ask Saul, what did Samuel say? I believe it was because Saul's uncle was praying for Saul. And he was praying big things and godly things for Saul. And what if Saul would have told his uncle what Samuel said? Wouldn't that encourage him? And spur, speaking of, speaking of uh, Saul, and spurred him on to follow the Lord, Lord even more? It's just ironic that he would ask him, hey, wh- what did he tell you? But he lost that opportunity. Verse 17, then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, watchtower, and said to the children of Israel, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt. He always reminded them that, hey, you guys, I delivered you. I saved you. I saved you. I saved you guys. Remember that. And delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hands of all of all kingdoms and from those who oppress you. But you have today rejected your God who himself saved you from all your adversities and your tribulations. And you have said to him, no, no, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. Now, this is a good present yourselves before the Lord because we know there's a bad present yourself before the Lord in the book of Joshua when Achan had took things he wasn't supposed to take. But this is the same thing that's going to happen here. Verse 20. And what Samuel, the reason he does this, he gathers them all at the watchtower Because he knows that Saul is supposed to be king and Saul knows that he's going to be king, but he wants the children of Israel to know this is not my decision. This is God's decision that that Saul is king. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. When he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was chosen. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. We don't know if this was by pulling lots, drawing lots, or by the Uman and the, and the Thuman. We don't know how it was done, but the Lord is speaking. But when they sought him, speaking of Saul, he could not be found. Therefore, they inquired of the Lord further. Where is the dude? Has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, there he is, hidden among The King James says the stuff. It says the equipment here. I don't know why the dude is hiding out like this. I don't know if it's modesty or is it fear. But the way Saul's life begins to go 
is fear because he was always afraid of the people. Am I now trying to please man or God? If I'm trying to please man, I should not be a servant of the Lord. That was Saul's downfall. He was always fearful of the people. So they ran and brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders up. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen, whom the Lord has chosen, that there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, long live the king. They're fired up about it. Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty. It comes from Deuteronomy 17, where the, the, the king is so, so always supposed to read the, 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 the book of the law so that he can reign and judge the people properly. They were always supposed to do that and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah and valiant men went with him. Good job. Whose hearts God had touched. But as usual, but some rebels said, how can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents. But he held his peace. And that's the way it should be. The Lord will take care of your enemies. Saul starts off well. It's amazing how well. But there's always signs of, well, I hope this won't be a pitfall. But those are things if you have, and we all have, I've said this before, blind spots. That we can't see whether it's our attitude, whether there's some behavior behavior issue. We all have blind spots. Others can see them, but they're blind spots. We can't. So in love, when someone speaks to you, whether it's a rebuke of whatever it is, if they come to you, or if I come to somebody in love, remember, we all have blind spots. I always say this, Chuck Swindoll taught me. You can say just about anything to a person if you say it in love, if you say it in the right temperament. And we have to understand that. So as Paul said, we don't only want to start well. I'm getting closer to finishing well. And that's okay too. We want to finish well. So not only start well, run well, but finish well. And make sure that we magnify the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your word. Thank you for washing us in the water of the word. Father, I lift up those that are, may still be sick because of the Omicron virus. Father, I pray that you give them Godspeed, quick healing. I pray, I'm thankful for the ones who's come through that. Father, I pray that you would keep CR safe. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that's in your word daily, that we're seeking your heart daily, and that you just lavish your grace and love upon us, that we may be trees of righteousness planted by you, Father. So Lord, keep us safe, guard your church, Father, and just do a great work here. And I ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Amen.